Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Conversations podcast. This is episode 62, and I am so excited to be here today. Um, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, you may not love it because we may talk about something that, um, I don't know, makes you uncomfortable, but I have my friend Chelsea Amer here today, and I'm super excited to have her. Welcome, Chelsea. Hi. Thanks for, so much for having me. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what you do, um, all that kind of good stuff, so they can, you know, get in touch if it's something that they're looking for. Absolutely. I am a registered dietitian by trade and I help women break free from food rules and find food freedom. So I really help them develop a good relationship with food. And oftentimes I help people with food allergies because I myself have a lot of food allergies. So it's definitely something that is on my radar to help people eat as many foods as possible and feel their best while doing it. So I work with clients one-on-one and in a group program that I have. And then I also have a healthy food blog where I create delicious recipes that include all foods. That's awesome. I love it. And yeah, it's gosh, the food allergy thing is so hard because I personally have gone through the last couple of years of having to take gluten out of my diet for my Mm -hmm. own personal health reasons. And man, it really kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah, it could totally be really, it could be really limiting, but what I try and like tell people who have any sort of restrictions is just try and think about what you can have. And, you know, even if that's making like a actual list and taking pen to paper and writing a list of all the foods you can have and different combinations, and it actually lends to a lot of creativity in the kitchen. So it actually can be quite fun once you get over the initial shock. Yes, totally. And that's a really good way to look at it is to look at the positive side versus, you know, I guess we tell that to, you know, especially kids all the time, like, well, let's look at the positive part of things. And um, such a good point, really good point. Um, Well, let's jump in and chat about um, this whole subject today. Um, Just talking about unpopular opinions, especially when it comes to food trends and being in the influencer space, you know, the online wellness space too, I'm sure you as just as much uh, are, we come across and see things that are just these food trends that people just look at as hard, fast rules. What are your thoughts on all those? (laughs) Absolutely. I think, you know, social media, there's so many wonderful things about social media, but I do think one of the downsides is that we really, you know, we have like a lens into every not everybody's life, but a lot of people's lives. And it's like, oh, if it's working for one person, that'll work for me. And we adopt it without doing our own research or thinking about what may be any downside to it. And just because something works for one person doesn't necessarily mean it works for everyone. So it is really important that anytime you see these trends popping up, you know, aside from probably like recipe trends, that it is important to do your due diligence and do your research. Right. And that's so true. I mean, even with like, in general, even with things that, you know, research has shown to, you know, be a negative thing, there's always outliers in everything, you know, so it's always important to do your own research. Um, And just be, and, and if you look at it, like you said, if we look at on the flip side, when it comes to allergies, like just because one person is allergic to peanuts per se, labeling peanuts is terrible. It's, sounds so silly, but that's what I feel like is done like the other way, right? 
Yeah, it's definitely, you know, we don't want to polarize any foods. And the truth of the matter is when you focus on what works for you, you're going to find the diet, especially that, you know, helps you feel your best. And that's what I always like to tell my clients is that we want to feel your best and find what works for you specifically. And a lot of times it's a lot more liberal of a diet than popular wellness influencers would have us believe. A hundred percent. And I like to say a lot too, like when we're listening to being, if you're immersing yourself in this online food space and you're letting what's on there dictate what you do, you're listening to an outside source instead of your own body. And you're almost making that connection and that intuition into your body feel more and more clouded. And we have to start stripping all that away and actually listening to ourselves because our bodies are actually really smart. 100%. And that's actually what I do with my clients. I always talk about like your external cues and your internal cues, especially when I'm helping, let's say a client like with their hunger and fullness cues, which is a big part of the work I do to help clients get in touch with their intuition, especially after years of dieting, is that I really try and help my clients like say, well, like, what does my body need and listen to those internal cues. And sometimes we have to pay attention to those external cues, but we really don't want the external cues to override our internal cues. Right. Internal should always be like the strongest. And then external is kind of like a sub. Absolutely. So when it comes to why do you think, like, when it comes to some of these things, like, for example, all these different diets, you know, like the keto and, and paleo and all these things. Why do you think it is that people like see that and like, just jump on that, like full force? I see so much of that. It's like all of a sudden someone's hundred percent this. Yes. I think that in the diet and wellness space, there's not a lot of room for gray when in fact it's the gray that typically works for people for the long haul. So they see one person having success with a really restrictive diet. And for that one person, that might be a really good way for them to eat. And, but they see one person have success. And so think like, oh, I want those results. I want to see that success. And a lot of times it might work for a month, two months, three months, maybe even six months or a year, but it doesn't work for the long haul because a lot of times these plans are just unsustainable and just not doable for the long haul. And a lot of times these diets, especially when you're talking about diets, they're misconstrued. So like the keto diet was originally developed for kids with epilepsy, refractory epilepsy, where no other treatment worked. And so this diet was developed and it works for those kids. And so now it's, you know, a huge weight loss thing. I see it all over the place. All these products are now keto and people really just don't understand it, but they're saying, Oh, well, my friend lost weight on it. Let me try it. Totally. A hundred percent. And that's the thing people don't do their research and understand. Like, you're right. It's, it's crazy. Everything is being labeled now as, you know, keto, it's such a marketing ploy. And, you know, ultimately, I mean, I've also like, I've heard a lot of um, other, you know, dietitians say like, well, okay, so you're doing keto because you're, but you're, you're cutting out whole food groups of things. So essentially you're also lowering your total calorie intake. So it's not necessarily the keto that's working. It's the fact that you're cutting out a whole bulk of what you were eating before. Well, I see that also with even let's take like what you do, for example, like gluten free, for example, a lot of people right. initially go gluten free, they end up cutting out this whole category of food. And maybe, you know, like a doctor told them to try it, or they see that, you know, something's not agreeing with them. So they're trying to eliminate it, or they hear it online, and they cut out a whole category of foods like cookies and cupcakes and cake and bread. And 
well, there's nothing inherently wrong with these foods, but when you cut out all these added treats, so now like you're not, I know like we haven't really been in the office for the past year, but let's say you're cutting out like the office birthday cake that was coming in every single week and you're cutting out all these things, naturally you're going to lose weight because you're eating less food, therefore taking in less calories. And it's not necessarily that, you know, for some people like they'll need to go gluten-free, but a lot of people think like a oh, gluten-free equals weight loss or it's healthier. And that's not necessarily always the case either. A hundred percent. And that's true. It's like, you're, that's exactly what, you know, totally. Um, well, let's jump in. Uh, you want to start with an unpopular opinion that, um, you want to talk about first? Yeah, I'm going to talk about one. Actually, I was thinking about this when I knew we were doing like unpopular opinions. I was like, well, what's something that most people re is really unpopular. And I'm actually going to say that eating sweets daily is healthy for you. And I know that that's like a really unpopular opinion. Like how can eating dessert daily be healthy for me? But I'm going to put it out there and say that it actually can be healthy for you and your relationship with food. Totally. I love that. Well, and so when you talk about sweets, let's, um, are we talking about, cause, um, that's another, I think it weaves into this. Are we talking about, um, like real sweets or are we talking about things that, you know, maybe you've taken a date and put like peanut butter in it and that's your sweet for the day. I would even say things with added sugar. So I think what you were getting at is like the difference between natural sugars versus added sugars. Yes. I'm even going to say added sugars. Like I think it is 100% okay for people to eat something with added sugar every single day. Like whether it's a piece of chocolate, it's a cookie, it's whatever is your thing. I think it's perfectly okay because a lot of times I see my clients restrict them and then they binge on them. Or if we don't even want to use that word, they just feel out of control around these foods when they're around. And that's actually not a healthy way to live around food. And a lot of times if we just take these foods off of their pedestal, instead of saying, Oh, you can only have them on Saturdays. That's your cheat day, you know, cheat being in quotes there. If you take them off of that pedestal, you'll actually have like more even keeled relationship with these foods and you'll able, you won't feel as out of control around them. Totally. Because isn't like, I mean, human nature, I mean, I look at my kids when you tell somebody they can't do something, you know, that's all they start to perseverate on is, is doing that one thing. I mean, you tell the kids like they can't, like I have a candy jar right on my, my counter. Like it's labeled candy with a big, you know, label candy. And my kids know that it's not something that they can't eat. You know, if they want a piece of candy, I granted, if we're sitting down at dinner, they don't go grab a piece of candy. There's, you know, there's some like, you know, idea behind, uh, behind it. However, if they come in and they're like, I feel like a gummy, you know, gummy bear or whatever, I'm like, go get some gummy bears. And it's more, you know, it's not something that's um, unreachable for them. Whereas I remember in college, I had my roommate who literally lived such a restrictive life that she like binged when she got to college of all the things. And it's like, well, that's because like, she felt like it was something she could not touch. And now that she had freedom, she felt this real, oh my gosh, I can, I can do all these things. It's crazy. That's really funny. That reminds me, my mom always says the story about cheesecake because my grandma never liked cheesecake. So my mom was never exposed to cheesecake growing up. And when she got to college, she like ate all the cheesecake and was so out of control around cheesecake because she like ate it every single day for like the first couple of years of college because she had never had it before. And she loved it. So it's sort of like the same, she wasn't purposely restricting it, but it's sort of the same concept 
with my clients, a lot of times I'll say like, it's the, you want what you can't have sort of phenomenon. Like it's like, you know, we always hear of like the little girl teasing the boy who's not paying attention to them in grade school or something like that. It's the same concept with food. And so when you give yourself permission to have it, some days you might find like you actually don't want sweets and clients are always amazed when the day comes and they're like, I don't want chocolate. I don't want a cookie. I don't want, you know, sour gummies. Like they're always amazed when that day comes and it comes for most of my clients, but there's also nothing wrong with having something every day because most of the time that won't interfere with your overall health and your well-being and how you feel. Totally. And that's, um, it's funny. It's totally true. I mean, we were at a birthday party a couple weeks ago and they had cupcakes and literally my six-year-old had two bites of his cupcake and tossed it. He's like, I'm done. I'm ready to go play. And that's like, people were like, that's so weird. I'm like, well, no, he just, he's doesn't, you know, he, he can eat that stuff whenever. Plus I'm a recipe developer. So I'm always creating like desserts and stuff at yeah. So, you know, they eat it all the time, but it's not something that's like new and exciting. It's just like, it's a cupcake, whatever. I don't feel like eating anymore. I had a, multiple pieces of pizza. So I'm actually full. Yeah. No, kids are actually born intuitive eaters. And I always joke like intuitive eating is just eating. It's how we're born to eat. But because yeah. we're infiltrated with all these diets and the dieting industry is like a $75 billion industry, you know, so we're always like given all the marketing and everything for it. We, we lose touch with what our bodies actually want and need. So it, kids are the best example, I think. And I have a two-year-old, so I see it with him because he really like is just learning how to eat and navigate food. It's so interesting. It's totally true. I mean, I will tell you, there was once when um, we, my son, who was an eater, was not, um, I think he was two or three at the time, um, he wasn't eating his dinner. And we were like, what is wrong with you? Like, why aren't you eating? You eat all the time. Like, are you distracted by the TV? Are you whatever? So we're like, gotta eat. You gotta eat. He ended up throwing up and he knew he had a bug and his body told him, I should not be eating anymore. My stomach's not feeling good. And it was a stomach bug and we, he was being intuitive. And as an outside source, we were not allowing him to listen to his intuition. You know, it was our first child, like it, you know, but it really made us take a step back and go, oh my gosh, he knew what he was talking about. You know, we, we don't give kids enough credit. No, it's so hard for parents. I find even as myself, I, this is like what I do for a living. And I even sometimes question my two-year-old, like, you want another slice of pizza, but he totally knows what he needs. And then there are days, like you just said, even without a stomach bug, like I, I think today, like he didn't eat a lot for lunch and I didn't question it. It's just, all right, he'll eat what he needs for dinner or for snack. Right. Well, totally. And I think my, um, my husband actually has a harder time with it. I, I work with my husband on the kids eating because he's like, well, they have to eat. And I'm like, no, they don't. They really actually don't. Like yeah. they're not going to starve themselves. And my six-year-old is my, my first child was so good at, he ate everything and anything always has. He never went through a phase, still the same kid will try anything. My second one definitely went through that phase. He's getting better at trying things. He doesn't still eat a ton, but he'll try things and go, that's not too bad. Or mm, I don't really like that. But the six-year-old is still in his like, he's weird. He can live on cucumbers and plain lettuce. He doesn't like, he doesn't like like mac and cheese. He doesn't like pasta in general. Like he's just a weird child, but he goes like, I am not a restaurant. I make dinner. I always have something on the plate. I know each of them will like, exactly. and, and he won't sometimes eat. And I'm like, all right, well, dinner time is over. 
And if you don't eat now, you're going to be really hungry because you're going to bed soon. And he'll be like, okay, I'm fine. I don't care. I don't want to eat. And then he'll go to bed and he'll wake up starving. And I'm like, hmm, you know, why do you think you woke up so hungry? Because he wakes up, he's like, I'm so hungry. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's because you didn't eat dinner last night. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? They really do. And then I'm sure he like compensates at breakfast. So, you know, yes, hundred percent. They even out and they really know what to do. And so adults need to start to learn and like take a cue from kids and really, you know, listen to themselves. Totally. Um, so I'm actually going to go on, I'm going to tag onto that for my unpopular opinion. And, um, my unpopular opinion is, um, I don't believe in cheat days. I, I, I don't believe in cheats in general, not just cheat days, but cheat meals, whatever this word cheat is that we've attached to food. I believe in choices, not cheats. And I think that, um, that's such a popular thing to say. And I don't know if it's just people's way of giving themselves permission to do something, but you don't have to give your, I mean, you just need to give yourself permission to eat in general. And there is no food police. There is no one that's going to come to your house and say, you're under arrest because you ate that brownie. Um, and I think the problem is, is that when we label things as like, oh, we're cheating on it, it's you're putting emotion, you're putting labels on foods that are not attached to the food themselves. They're attached to the emotional response or, you know, you're actually, um, I'm, my brain like needs some food or something. Cause I can't remember the word. I, um, there's a word I'm trying to think that you're put, labeling morality. the food as, but uh, yeah, morality. Yes. Yes. You're ah. putting morality onto food. Exactly. And that's the thing that's so hard for me um, with when I see that, I just cringe because I'm like, just eat it. Why? Like if you, when you're telling yourself you're cheating, it's actually making you feel worse, not better. Because oh. it's like, what are, you, what are you cheating on? Cheating is a terrible thing. Like it's not a good thing. I would even tap onto that, like cheat days, cheat meals, but also like good versus bad foods. That's yes. awesome. I use a lot of when like people are talking about morality. Like there's just no food can't inherently be good or bad. It's just food. And so if you, I always like to use the example, like if you were stranded on a de- like deserted Island and you only had like Coca-Cola to drink that would save your life because it has calories, which are energy. It has carbs. Right. It would literally save your life until you were saved because it's a form of, you know, energy. So I think people are like, Oh, it's so bad for you. And it's like, it might not be the most nutritious or nutrient dense food, but it's not necessarily bad for you. Right. And that's the thing is everyone has different ideas of what's good and bad. I mean, that's, that's honestly, like, if it's something that's like an opinion, it, 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 no, like it's nutrient dense or not nutrient dense. That doesn't make it good or bad. It's just, you probably want most of your things nutrient dense because your body needs these nutrients to really function at its best. But um, having, like you said, if you didn't have any other option, you need that, you need, you need that energy to survive. Like you would die if you didn't have it. So, you know, what are you going to do if you're on a deserted Island, you're just not going to take that Coca-Cola because you're always told it's so bad for you. Right. Exactly. And I, I mean, that's like, such an extreme example, but I think it just really, illustrates that you know we can't be keep categorizing these foods that way because that makes us feel bad and the worst is when I see especially my clients who then feel like this shame and guilt after they eat one of these so-called quote-unquote bad foods they feel just so awful and that it breaks my heart when people feel that way around food totally I agree because it's like I mean I'm sorry but if I've had you know a rough week sometimes 
I like, and I say, I talk a lot um, with uh, my people on sometimes we eat for our body and nutrients, and sometimes we eat for our mental health. And both of those are good. Both of those help contribute to our wellness, you know, and there are sometimes like, you know, I love cookies. I love brownies. And sometimes they bring me comfort. I love the flavor. I love the texture. I love like a freshly baked cookie. And, you know, if you look at that stuff as quote unquote bad, you know, you're not allowing yourself to experience these amazing feelings that comes from that, you know, especially like I grew up, I'm Greek first generation. Like my mom makes the best baklava in like the entire world. And that reminds me of my childhood that, you know, when eating, I mean, most people, you know, that label foods would look at baklava as like one of the worst things because it's got so, you know, you have the nuts, you have the sugar and they're, they'd be like, oh my God, fat sugar. Oh my God, I'm running the other direction. But for me, eating that like brings you know, feelings of, you know, comfort from my childhood. And it's like having to cut that out. I would, it really would make me sad. Yeah. I mean, food is tied up in memories and emotion and there are, there's so much more to your health and well being than just what you're eating and just the physical. It's like the emotional, the mental. So it really is important that we keep an open mind when it comes to the definition of health. Even I would say, you know, it's not just, you know, it's important that your blood markers, let's say, are, you know, within appropriate levels for your overall health and well-being and longevity. But it's also important that your mental health is in track and your spiritual health and, you know, your emotional well-being. So it definitely is multifaceted. And I don't think that's looked at enough. Oh, agree. Because they're so connected. I mean, I am a prime example of that. You know, my when my mental health is off, I feel it in my body. Like I have physical symptoms. And I think people assume just when something is physical, that it's automatically something to do with, you know, your body. And it's like, well, sometimes it's actually mental health that we need to look at, you know, anxiety causes stomach pains, you know, anxiety, you know, things like that. So um, we, yeah, we forget about that. Um, And then the other label that I cringe at sometimes is when people, you know, call things like when they focus on, I only eat clean. Oh, that's a good one. Well, what does clean mean? Like, so your food's are dirty. you say, yeah, that's, are you saying what I eat is dirty? Like, no. and I get the, I get the idea of what they're saying, but I hate that word. It's just a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Well, it's sort of the same idea. It's like the antithesis of like your cheat day. I eat clean and yes. then I have a cheat day. They're like on the opposite sides of the spectrum. So I think it's like the good and bad again. And I think, yeah, it just, that one works me too. Yes, totally. Um, All right. What's another one? Do you have another one to share? Yeah. So this one could definitely get a lot of pushback, but I'm going to say that a vegan diet is not necessarily a healthier diet. And I think that a lot of people cling to this idea that a plant-based diet or 100% plant-based vegan diet is like the end all be all when it comes to your diet, especially like in the influencer space, I would say. And there's nothing wrong with the vegan plant-based diet. I eat a predominantly plant-based diet. I think plants are excellent for our health, but I don't think it's necessarily so superior to other diets and it's not for everyone. So I think that goes back to individualizing what you eat and based on how you feel. I know I personally followed a vegan diet for several years and was actually at like a low point of my health when I was doing that and feel tremendously better when I do include, you know, sources of fish and meat in my diet alongside all the plants that I was eating. And so I think it's really important that 
you know, we don't pass judgment on each other's diets. And instead of being like, oh, well, my way of eating is superior, you know, we just, you know, say, oh, well, that's great that that works for you. But like, this is how I eat for me. I totally agree with that. It's actually interesting because my business started our diet change um, because my husband had started having some heart health health issues. Um, when we had our, we had just had our second child and he had had, um, he was on blood pressure medication. Most of his adult life, his family has it. Every doctor has been like, it's genetic here, are your pills moving on. And then they started, stopped working. And so he went to a new cardiologist, um, who actually said like, look, we can give you more pills, try something else, increase whatever. Or if you're interested, I've helped a lot of my patients through diet changes and the way your body works, perhaps moving towards a plant-based diet might help you. Well, within three months of changing his diet to plant-based, he had essentially cured himself. He was off all his meds, best he's ever been. This was nine years ago. He's still going strong. Yeah. Um, and that is his body. And we are, he is predominantly plant-based. He does not eat meat like at all. Um, once in a while, he eats some fish, like if we're in Hawaii or something, but he doesn't really like seafood. So mm -hmm. um, he eats no meat. Um, once in a while, eggs. I watch that for him though, because of his cholesterol. Um, and then same with the dairy, like a little bit of dairy here and there, but he's predominantly plant-based. Mm -hmm. um, and I, because I was the cook in the family, I'm the one that changed, you know, did the bulk of the change in our diet. We both ate that way. And I felt great, mostly taking out the dairy because I've always had um, lactose issues. However, as my body changed, I went through early onset menopause when I, I'm turning 44 in July and I went through early onset menopause in my early forties. And I, my body changed and I could no longer do gluten. Gluten was a huge issue for me. When I stopped doing gluten, um, my allergies I'd had, my seasonal allergies I'd had my entire adult life completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been on allergy meds in over eight months. I feel amazing. But I started feeling like I needed more like things like fish, things like that in my diet. I, it just was what my body was craving. So I have started incorporating less, you know, plant-based foods um, just because it made me feel better. And so that's the thing is that not only certain diets are best and we still eat predominantly plant-based. I still create all plant-based meals because I do think, like you said, the more plants you have, the better for you. Plants are awesome. They have nutrients of everything we need. But the problem with the vegan and plant-based world, when I first entered that space, I felt like I didn't belong because I didn't agree that things were black and white. I agree. I believe that things are gray and that is where most of us lie. And this black and white world of, you know, like you have to do this or you're not a good human. You have to do this or, but it's like, at what point do we need to stop and say, good human for who? Because to be a good human for me, which is the most important thing, and that sounds selfish, but it's true because I cannot be a good human for anybody else or anything else until I'm at my best. And until I actually found the courage in my space to start creating a new niche in the plant-based world of the gray, um, I never felt like I belonged. And my business actually grew when I started doing that because so many people started coming to me and saying, oh my God, you gave me permission to not have to feel like I had to do this all the time. And I'm like, are you serious? Like I had one woman told me that she used to pack a suitcase of food when she traveled because she, she felt like she could not stray from being a hundred percent vegan. And I'm like, girlfriend, what is the point of going on a vacation to relax? If you're stressed, 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, you just gave like the perfect example of like your husband, like it totally is working for him, which is fantastic. My dad is vegan too, 100% plant-based for years now. And it's working for him. He feels great. But, you know, for you, it didn't work. And so it's just important. Also, I think it's really important to say that it's okay for your diet to change over the course of your life. Like it yes. must work for you at one point in your life. And then you might need to change your diet to include some other foods or take away other foods at a different point in your life. And of course, I believe that like the goal is to liberalize your diet as much as possible so that you're not restricting yourself as much as possible. But it's okay if your diet has to change, you know, in one decade to another or one year to another, um, based on where you are in your life, what else is going on. Totally. And the thing with the restricting, I, my, my family, me, my husband, my kids, like, we do have underlying anxiety issues. And so if we put this restriction on us as this hardcore restriction, going out causes stress, which in turn is actually really bad for your health, you know, and bad for your wellness is to increase that stress. So like when we go out, I know that I can't do the gluten because it really makes me feel sick. My husband knows he can't do the meat because that's what makes him feel sick. So other than that, we just, for each of us, we don't worry about it because we want to enjoy ourselves. We want to enjoy going out and having a good time. And we know like there are certain things we can't do just for pure health issues. And then everything else is on the table because we want to enjoy ourselves. We don't want that stress. And same with my kids, you know, people, I, had a, I have a whole um, podcast episode about kids and, you know, making it feel like you have to, um, I don't put restrictions on my kids. I let my kids decide for themselves what they want. Um, they know why daddy eats a certain way. They know why mommy has to exclude gluten, you know, and they understand the science behind it. But for them, we tell them, eat something, try it. They eat lunch. They grab school lunch every single day. Um, if you eat it, doesn't make you feel good. Don't eat it again. It's as simple as that, you know, like, or try it again later on to see how you feel again. Like it's pretty simple. It's not, you know, I don't want them to ever feel like they cannot eat a certain thing because I said so. Totally. Totally. I, and I think that's the best way to let kids also trust themselves. And that's like at the, at the bottom of it all, like dieting and like restricting yourself for the sole purpose of weight loss is also disrupting the trust that you have with yourself because you're listening to that external set of rules and cues instead of, or like following an allowed list or like a not allowed list instead of really trusting your own intuition. And I think that's the best way to teach kids how to eat for sure. Well, well, in general, there's not even a certain diet out there that promises that scientifically says you're going to lose weight because it, it's not necessarily like cutting out certain things that, that helps your weight. You know, there's, there's the, losing weight is not about like being, if you're, a, if you're eating a vegan diet, you can be eating a vegan diet and gain plenty of weight that has no direct connection to weight loss. Yeah. So, that's like the basis of, you know, why I said like a vegan diet is also not the most nutritious and the healthiest diet because there are so many vegan foods out there that are less nutritious than their vegetarian, vegetarian or like meat containing counterparts. So agreed. Yeah. So, um, I'll, tally on that. Um, I'll, you know, get on the same kind of subject of weight. And um, I'm going to say that carbs, <laughs> carbs should be eliminated because they make you gain weight. That okay. is my favorite 
unpopular, like favorite opinion out there that I'm like, mm, that's not true. You would die without carbohydrates. <laughs> Carbs are so misunderstood. I call them like the most misunderstood nutrient. I, I totally agree. I mean, and I, um, I have a few, I have actually quite a few episodes on macros in general and like why our body actually needs them. But I mean, carbohydrates, like if you don't have carbohydrates, like that's what your body is using for energy. It's my primary source. Like you would literally, I, I love when people like, you know, are, you know, I've had, you know, friends before that like, oh, I'm eliminating carbs and they're like foggy, exhausted. I'm like, mm, hmm, wonder why. Yeah. I always like to say, you know, like if you think you should be eliminating something, like think back to a past experience or maybe you have eliminated it. And like, do you remember how you felt on it? Or like, if you want to experiment, I'm all for experimentation. Like I think our bodies are an awesome experiment. So like, if you want to experiment and eliminate carbs and see how you feel great, do that. But like, be honest with yourself about how you're actually feeling. And if it's actually helping your health, because a lot of people misconstrue, Oh, I dropped a few pounds when I went low carb for the week and that's likely because of water weight, not actually because you eliminated carbs, like on the side note, but like, see how you feel. And are you actually like just happy with it because you lost the weight or are you feeling more energized? Chances are your energy's lower when you are on, you know, when you eliminate all those carbs. Plus people like misunderstand what carbs are. They don't understand that fruit, vegetables, like sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, corn, peas, like all these foods. It's not just bread that includes carbs. Dairy is a carb, for example, that people like don't understand. So I think it's just important to, you know, again, liberalize your diet as much as you can. Totally. And that's the thing, like carbs are in everything. Like so many people don't realize like carbs are in everything. There's so many sources of carbs. It's not just bread and pasta. And the other thing is, you know, when people, I think there are also, a, you know, a group of people that like when they eliminate carbs, you look at what it is they're eliminating and they're eliminating like the donuts, the cakes, the, like all these things. And they're saying, well, I'm going to eliminate carbs. It's like, well, you're eliminating this group and you're, you're, um, adding in fruits, vegetables, things that like you think don't have carbs. And it's actually nothing to do with the carbs. It has to do with like what you're actually taking out and adding in. Totally. Totally. It's, it goes back to like a thing I mentioned about when you mentioned the gluten-free diet, like people are just cutting out, you know, other things that might not be as nutrient rich as, you know, the fruits and the vegetables, whole grains. Totally. Exactly. All right. Um, let's each give one more. Okay. Hmm. Let me think about this. I do you want to go first? Sure. I, um, I'm going to say one that, um, is, I, I don't remember if you had said the same thing, um, earlier when we were kind of emailing about this, but, um, I am going to say that I do not like stevia and all those things. That is not something I like, I think it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am actually, we are on the same page. I don't know if we emailed about that or not, but I'm 100% on the same page when it comes to artificial sweeteners. I never, shouldn't say never. I almost never recommend clients cut out something from their diet unnecessarily, but I strongly recommend that they limit or reduce or eliminate artificial sweeteners from their diet. Well, and again, like when we're talking about, like, like you said, the diets, like keto was 
was created for a certain set of, you know, children. Well, these types of sweeteners, it's really like about how they raise your blood sugar. And those sweeteners are great for people with diabetes that have to control, you know, blood sugars. But one thing that's interesting that I was speaking to another dietitian about um, in another podcast episode that she said, and I've been thinking about it ever since is that they're so much sweeter than actual traditional sugar that once you get used to that, your sweet threshold greatly increases. And then, yes. And it's like, all of a sudden, like, I know so many people that only use that, that tell me things like, oh, I can't use maple syrup. I just need so much of it to feel that sweetness. And I'm just like, what? Like I can use a, a tablespoon of maple syrup and something is so sweet to me. Yeah. Artificial sweeteners are like hundreds to thousands of times sweeter than regular table sugar. And so your it trains your tongue and your brain that it is so much sweeter. They're kind of like a mind game that then you start craving more sugar. But also because a lot of them are non-caloric, you're eating something that let's say like you put it in your coffee, you're eating something, your brain, because they are so sweet, thinks that you're supposed to be taking in calories and you're not. So then you're still craving other things as well. So they're a total mind game. And so I honestly recommend staying away from them. And I honestly find that a lot of my clients cravings decrease when they do cut back or eliminate these artificial sweeteners. That makes, that makes a lot of sense about the, um, tricking your brain to think that you're taking in, you know, calories, but you're not, that's like another really good point. I just, it, it, but it is, it's so interesting though, because ever since she said that I've paid a lot of attention to people that, um, do use a lot of those and things that they like that I'm like, oh my gosh, how can you eat that? That's so sweet. And I'm, and they're like, no, it's not. And it's, it's so interesting to me. I mean, it, it really makes a lot of sense because it's all connected to your brain and what it's used to. Um, I just don't even think they're, they're good. I'll be honest. Like I can taste stevia in almost everything. Like there's very few things like, for example, my, um, protein powder that I like has some in it, but it also has some real sugar in it. There's a little bit of both. And so I, I can do it, but I also put a banana in my smoothie. So it kind of covers it up. I have a hard time finding, like I'll use unflavored protein powder sometimes just because I like to sweeten it myself. But yeah. it's, I have a really hard time finding a protein powder that has all the things I'm looking for that doesn't have those artificial sweeteners. Like yeah. there's not that many out there, like at all, like almost all of them use stevia, monk fruit, like all those things. And so I find them just so sweet. I can't use so many of them. So I'm really, um, I'm really picky about what I use with that. Same goes with um, uh, the bars, like protein bars so many of them have those sweeteners and I'm just like, it tastes, I, I don't know if I have like a, a gene, like people with cilantro do, but a lot of the things with stevia taste like soap to me. Yeah. I find stevia to be very apparent when it's in something as well. I always check the labels and I really do stay away from it. I actually, I very much agree. It's like a taste thing. It's not even that I know that it's like messing with my brain. Yeah. Same. It's a tasting for me too. It's like a sharp, there's some flavor that I'm like, Ooh, I can't have that like drinks and stuff like that. But then I'm just like, why not just have, I mean, and I guess in the, the, a lot of people that I know of that are very, you know, anti-sugar and, and like table sugar and eat those, um, they're in the fitness space. And so they're meeting, I guess, macro goals. And so they want to eat certain things. And so they substitute, but I mean, I don't know, you do you, but I, um, 
I don't do stevia. (laughs) I'm with you. So I get it. Totally get it. I will wrap up with my last um, unpopular opinion. And that's that I do not think that you need to buy organic in order to be healthy. Love that one. That's a good one. I think um, there's some research to it. And, you know, if you can afford organic, I think that's great. But I also think that we just don't know quite the difference between organic and non-organic. And if that is your obstacle to buying fruits and vegetables, I think it's really deterred people who can't afford organic produce to say, oh, well, I'm better off just not buying tomatoes than you know, buying the non-organic ones. And I think that's a real detriment to our overall health and well-being. I totally agree. Now, I, um, I agree in the sense that like, there's definite research out there depending on, you know, depending on the actual brand, I'll have to say, because one thing I did learn, I actually visited um, a, an organic farm and learned a lot about organic farming and a lot of the differences, which, yeah. you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And yes, there's things that are put on things that aren't great. However, we also forget that to be certified organic is extremely expensive. And so a lot of fruits and vegetables, a lot of farmers use organic practices, but they're not certified because part of being certified means that if you get an infestation, you can't use certain things. And for a farmer who this is their livelihood, if they get an infestation, they have to be able to deal with it or they can lose their entire years of crop. And so that would really, really hurt the farming industry for so many farmers. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Speaking on the farmer side and then like what you said, as far as the affordability, it's great. Do I buy organic? I do because where I shop has a lot of organic produce, but it's also local. So part of that is I like the flavor of um, the local fruits and vegetables because they taste better. They're right here. They haven't been shipped across the country. They last longer, but that all has to mostly do with the fact that it's local and it just happens to be organic. Um, But I also shop sales. I also look at, um, you know, the cost. I buy a lot of stuff that's seasonal and shopping seasonal is really important because it's cheaper. And so that's like, there's so much to it. And like what you said is it is so true that it's such a, um, an obstacle when we talk about our communities, um, that can afford things to make them feel like if you can't shop at Whole Foods, you can't be healthy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I visited some organic farms and I've worked with some like brands that are organic farms. And I think that they do great things. They have great ways that they can mitigate infestations in organic ways. But again, I've also visited several like non-organic farms and a lot of them have the technology now. They have great farming practices like you mentioned. And I agree. I think local, when your produce isn't, is organic produce really better when it's flying all the way across the country? Right. It's like days delayed. You don't know where it's been. It's used. It's not necessarily the best for the environment in that case, if it's being flown across the country. So if you can focus on local, what's in season and possible, I do think that that is better. And the flavor is just so much better when you focus on local. But I think it's a huge barrier to entry when it comes to like healthy eating. There are huge pockets of this country that have 
little access to even like a regular supermarket, let alone a whole foods. So, right. um, we, you know, if we're only saying organic fruits and vegetables, that's really taking away from what regular fruits and vegetables, non-organic can do for you. Totally. And same goes with um, fresh versus frozen. Like some people don't have access to fresh foods and frozen foods. People don't realize they're actually frozen at their peak ripeness. And so many frozen food, you know, fruits and vegetables are like, are just excellent you know, excellent options for people that a either need to have them last longer, you know, for buying in bulk and, you know, money wise or whatever. But I think we need to focus more, especially looking at this last year and all that's happened. Like, I don't understand why we have so many campaigns out there to not that I'm anti, you know, all these things to, oh, do this, do that, wear your mask, social distance, do this, stay inside. Where are the campaigns that say, let's look at how we're fueling our bodies. Let's get movement every day. Let's eat nutritious food to help, you know, help our bodies become stronger. Like, I don't get that. Yeah. I would also like to add on to that and say not just frozen, but also canned. As a dietitian, yes. I had the opportunity to go out to a couple of canneries and we literally went to the farms and saw the farmers pick it and we labeled the batch. I think it was peaches where I was and they labeled the batch of peaches. And then we took a trip to the factory where they were getting canned and we literally saw our same peaches less than four hours later get canned. So it's literally, they were picked and canned within like six hours. And so the same thing was true. We were at a tomato facility as well. And people, it's the more affordable option. A lot of times they're so fresh. And I think it's a shame that they have this bad stigma around them and they're so nutritious. I totally agree with you on the can. The one thing we need to educate, you know, people on is actually turning the can around and reading the label and like making sure that it's not you know, tons of added sugars or sodium and things like that. Um, and that's the thing when I like create something like with canned tomatoes, I use canned tomatoes all the time. Yeah. I look at the label and I say, if it doesn't, I either use the ones without salt and then I add salt to my recipe or if it has salt, you just don't add it. Yeah. And so it's more about the education of using the canned. Um, but I use canned all the time. Like, I mean, I've been told, you know, by those trolls that like, you know, I'll use canned beans and they're like, well, how you should make everything from scratch. I'm like, well, you do you, I've got three kids and canned beans gets me a really fast meal. So canned beans are, they give, yeah, they're on our table at least a couple times a week because it's just, they save so much time and studies have shown, I actually just went to a webinar about this, that when you drain and rinse them, you get rid of almost all of the sodium. It's unbelievable. So it's, you know, people are like, it's so salty. Once you drain and rinse them, you really don't. So I think that there just needs to be more education about the topic. I think just in general, as we've seen by a lot of these, you know, unpopular opinions we've talked about is I think just education, I mean, really just needs to happen across our country in general, because uh, there's so many that online space is um, as much as we want to educate, I feel like there's so much in there that is overrun by marketing and people trying to make money versus truly trying to educate, which is honestly why I started this podcast is I really wanted a space out of the online world. Um, of social media and things like that to talk about these things that, you know, people could, you know, generally when you, when I sometimes say things and I see other people like you and others try to say things, there's so many people that go on and attack you. And it's like, I wanted a free space to, to talk about, to have people on, talk about these things without feeling like I was going to be attacked at every, you know, corner. So um, 
you know, that's why I just appreciate, you know, you coming on all the, my guests I've had all of the people listening. Um, we just really just need to get education out there is the number one. Yeah. And I think people also just like to leave people with something. It's like, do your own research, you know, just because you see it online and it works for one person does not make it the gold standard. So really like do an experiment with yourself, like test things out, but like also do the research behind it. Look into these products before you just buy them um, and make sure that you're doing what's best for you, not just because you see somebody else doing it. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I was, you know, when I was talking about learning how to read those food labels, you know, I can link it and I have a re I have a a reading food labels guide that I created, you know, as a free guide for people because people just, you know, they look at the marketing on the front and they don't realize that a lot of that is, you know, marketing ploys, whereas the label itself is actually, um, it's actually, there has to be true. Like there's, they, they can't just put whatever they want on a nutrition label. Like there's, it's, there's right rules, there's regulations, Plus or minus 10%, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Plus or minus 10%, 100%. Uh, yeah. True on that. But like, for example, the ingredient list, like they yeah, can't no, exclude yeah. something from the ingredient list. So when something says it's trans fat free, mm, that's not necessarily true because there's tricks around that. Look at the ingredient list, look at what's in there and see, you know, what it has and whether it's something that works for you and your body versus what everyone's telling you. 100%. Um, but I so appreciate you being here today, um, coming on and sharing all your knowledge. And for those of you listening, make sure to grab Chelsea's uh, free balance your plate guide. It's awesome. Um, and get in touch with her if you're looking for any um, support by someone who's actually, um, uh, she's trained, she's a real dietitian. She's not just online trying to make money. Um, and that's really important because so many people get their information from unlicensed professionals. <laughs> Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Absolutely. And if all of you listening, thank you so much for being here. And if you love the podcast, please make sure to leave me a rate and review. It helps me so much to get, you know, awesome guests on and get my podcast out there and make sure you tune in next time. We are going to be talking um, with somebody from a really cool company called Cool Beans. Um, and I think you're going to like it, but thanks everybody. And we'll chat soon. <laughs>